you know, tears don't stain anything, even pillowcases. <laughs> and it's a good release to cry or scream. Mm-hmm. I, I did that once with a couple of friends of mine around, and they Linda let it out. And I said, okay. And I let out this huge scream, and both of them looked at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Not like that, you just, Linda. <laughs> what? You know, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm fine now. You yeah. know, I let, yeah. the, I let it all out. So, <laughs> yeah. A new diagnosis has a way of clarifying the things that are important. We all age, we all get sick, we all die. There's deep meaning to be found in living with a serious illness. There's fun to be had in someone's last days. And there's a lot to be learned from a person whose finish line is in sight. The conversation you're about to hear is about sharing experiences, finding what's meaningful, leaving space for sadness, leaning into grief, laughing about absurdities, and thinking together about an experience that we will all have someday. My name is Cody Huffstedler. I'm a palliative care chaplain in Denver, Colorado, and I interview people who are coming to the end of their life. My good friend Andy is a palliative care physician. He's very generous and really believes in what we're doing here, so he's been on the lookout for patients that would be willing to share their stories with us on the podcast. A few weeks ago, Andy sent me a text with a name and a phone number, so I called Linda. After about five minutes of chatting with Linda, I knew she would be perfect for the podcast. She's thoughtful, open, authentic, and fun. So about a week after our first conversation, Chris and I went to Linda's house in Denver and sat down at her dining room table to talk about her life. There was a lot of laughter, a few tears, and a fair bit of profanity. Shit damn hell was a bit of a refrain in our conversation, and it was just right. I hope you hear the authenticity, wrestle with the sadness and anger, and bask in the joy as Linda shares her life with us. And I hope you're inspired by her desire to serve others, even as she comes to the end of her life. This is Dying to Tell You. All right, so you're Linda. Yes. I'm Cody. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the first time that you noticed something that made you go to the doctor, that made you think something might be wrong? Okay. Um, Well, to begin with, being female, I tend to go to the doctor more often than, you know, other people do. Um, But I had blood in my urine. Oh, okay. And um, it didn't seem to go away, so I called the doctor, made an appointment. We did uh, urinalysis and blood test. Came back with nothing wrong. So another month went by, and same thing, it just kept going, and um, same thing, more tests, and, um, or blood tests, and urine tests, and nothing. They couldn't find anything, and I finally said, you know, there's something wrong because it wouldn't be going on this long. So that's when I went in for a CT scan, and <laughs> the CT scan came back, uh, and the radiologist who looked at it said, oh, no, everything's fine. And my doctor in California said, I think I'm going to send this to my friend who's a urologist and have him look at it. And he said, oh, heck no, it's not fine. There's definitely a problem. Gotcha. So um, more tests and that kind of thing. And then um, that's when they decided that I had um, kidney cancer. Yeah. You were living in California at that point. Yes. And um, had you lived in California for a long time? Um, I'm basically a native Californian in other than, well, it's hard to say, add up all the years because my dad was in the military. Oh, okay. And so we spent a lot of time traveling. Went to Santa Barbara, was there for 30 years then, Met my late husband, and we moved. I moved to a little town called Yucaipa and lived there for 30 years. Okay. And now I'm here. Great. And you got this diagnosis after, it sounds like, a couple of months worth of 
looking into what was the problem. It was months because that started in February and they removed my um, right kidney on September 21st, 2021. Okay. Was that when you got the, the urologist to look at the CT scan or was that later? That was, it's more like April or May. Okay. That so he in, looked in at May, it. Yeah. in May, the radio, the um, urologist looks at the scan and says, that is not okay. You have cancer. And then um, what was the, what was the process from there? So you get that and um, are you, you're living alone at that point? I had a boyfriend who lived with okay. me. Okay. Not anymore, but he's, yeah, he gotcha. was then. Okay. And um, what what was that like? I mean, was that a surprise to you? Were you worried about that it might be cancer at some point? Um, it, the, you know, cancer always is one of those things that tends to creep in the back of your head. No. Um, that maybe I oh, maybe I have cancer. Maybe I have cancer. And um, it was one of those that okay, you have cancer. It's like well. Crap. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. What are we going to do? The well crap. Was that fear or frustration or? Yes. Yes. Yeah, all, <laughs> it both? was all yeah. of the above. It was, you know, the, the nobody in my family has, my immediate family has had cancer. And so, um, although my late husband died from prostate cancer, but um, like I say, no, you know, none of my sisters, um, my mother, grandmothers, any any of those people, and so it was. Um, I was scared. Yeah. What do we do now? So of course, the first thing I do is get on the phone and or FaceTime with both my kids mm -hmm. because I'm pretty close with both of them and so we make team decisions hmm. sometimes I make my own it irritates them sometimes but <laughs> you know it's like okay I'm I'm the mom right um yeah you can it's like I tell them I can give you advice and if you follow it fine if you don't follow it that's fine too you can give me advice and if I follow it cool and if not don't get mad at me yeah but anyway so they they scheduled the the surgery and my daughter came out, and um, she's fortunate now in that she's got a job where she can work remotely from time to time. Mm -hmm. So she was there for about a week and then came back home because she's got a family that she needs to take care of. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't do well without mom. I don't do well without mom either. Yeah. Anyway, so um, with my recovery, you know, I slowly but surely got better. And when you, so you had a kidney taken out, mm -hmm. right? So you had a tumor in one kidney yes. and it was contained in the kidney yes. as, as far as you knew. Right. And um, you had that kidney taken out and you told me before that they said that they got it. Right? Yeah. And they, that, that the was margins it. were clean and clear and all and that stuff. And after a recovery, you were expecting that you were going to be cancer free. And right. And live was, for, you know, 20 more years. Yeah. And so you had the surgery, and then your recovery. How was how was that? That there were times when it was kind of rocky, but that was mainly because of the the person that was living at my house. Gotcha. In the difficult relationship there, but uh, you know, I mean, it was. Um, I had a lot of friends that helped to support me. That was wonderful, and I'm uh, a member of the Lions Club, and so I have lots of Lions friends who helped with my recovery, whether it was just getting cards in the mail or phone calls or texts or something. And then my church family hmm. was a godsend that they helped so much with, you know, do you need food? Do you mm -hmm. need this? Do you need that? So, you know, life went on and I seemed to be doing just fine with, you know, the recovery. And I was a district governor, which was very stressful yeah and took me this is for the lions club yes for yeah. the lions club and four times a year you have to travel to um, conventions 
and which means flying. But I, you know, I fortunately there again, I had a, a friend and he would make sure that he took care of my luggage and made sure that I, you know, got on the plane with no problem and got off the plane with no problem and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know, it's, we're a fraternity yeah. of wonderful people because, you know, our motto is we serve. Right. And so I did that for, well, I finally retired June 30th of this last year of 23. And it was in, again, I think in February or March of 23, because I would go in for regular checkups and there was a, a problem again. I found out the cancer had come back and had metastasized in my lung. Okay. My so, right lung. So you you had the surgery, and then you had October, November, December, January, where everything was fine. About a year. Yeah. yeah. And and then something happened. Was, was it trouble breathing or anything like no, that? No. You know, I have never had problems breathing. I've never had problems, you know, in the bathroom area. Mm-hmm. None of that stuff. It just, that you know, it's blood in the urine and that kind of thing that triggers things. Yeah. True. So they started running tests again and um sure enough. Um and then they did <laughs> I should tell this, but if you no. can edit it out <laughs> if you want. No, is it when I went in for um the lung biopsy, they had to go through my right breast. Okay. And so the doctors and the nurses that were in there were happened to be all male. And the doctor apologized for having to expose me and I said Honey, if you are interested in old saggy boobs like mine, <laughs> then you're the one with the problem, not me. So you know, do what you need to do. He he was he blushed at first, yeah. and then he, he then he laughed, and oh, the other sure. guys were already laughing. And I thought, you know, life is just too short. I obviously with you, I've made a lot of jokes, and I will continue to make jokes and try to make people laugh because it makes me laugh and it yeah, makes me feel better. Feel good. Yeah. All right, so a biopsy through the boob, and and then they tell you your cancer from your kidney is spread to your lungs. Right. Again, I'm curious. I mean, I can imagine a lot of things going through my mind if that was me. But what what was that emotion? What was your emotional reaction like? I mean, um, again, fear, um, anger. I can imagine being yeah. angry about it. Frustration. Yes. I was um, I was angry at the doctors yeah. because I had been told, you know, we got everything, you're good to go, go have a good life. And I was frustrated because it didn't go away. I was scared because it's like, oh my gosh, the, you know, the stuff has come back again. You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to go through all this alone? Mm-hmm. Because by then my boyfriend was out of the house. Mm-hmm. And so again, I you know FaceTimed both my kids mm-hmm. and well, kind of sat on it for a week. Oh, before you told them? No, because oh, no, I before see. we finally made, made a decision, kind of decision because I didn't want to rush into making any kind of a decision on a snap. Right. right. Um, you know, we all needed to pray about it, and we needed to just. I don't want to say rest with it, but just be with it mm-hmm. for a, a little bit. So at that point, um, we had already come up with, you know, I could stay at the house and go through this by myself, and Amy could come out when she could. And my son lives in Australia, so him coming up on a regular basis Not is really option, it's yeah. really expensive from that end coming up here. So then we made the decision that I would um, transfer to Kaiser, Colorado, and move in with Amy and her family. I think it, I want to talk a little bit about this like week-long period of just getting the diagnosis and telling your kids and then just sitting with it for a week. I think that is uh, so smart. I know you're I know you're thinking also that you're gonna have to make big changes because of you know going through this alone versus not going through this alone, all that. But it's just so smart to take a beat and not make decisions based on these big emotional reactions. I mean, you've just gotten the word that you're you have cancer. <laughs> again. It's a again, yeah. right. And that's a big deal. 
is that kind of taking a moment? Um, is that something that you've done all your life or is that something that you learned or is that something that just came to you at that time that you wanted to take a minute? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Tell tell (laughs) me a little bit. Because I, I'm, I do make snap decisions and Sometimes I am really sorry for them. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, other good. times right. I, you know, sit on it and then it's, you know, too late. I've mm. waited too long to make a decision. And, um, but this one, I just, I felt that the best thing to do was for all of us just to sit with it and think about it and pray about it and see where we are mm-hmm. in a week so that yeah. we're not, because it's, too big a change in my life for me to just say, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this yeah. when doing that would be better for me. In the yeah, world. of course. You know, there's just, there's too, too much, been so many changes already. Yeah. You yeah. know, cancer alone was a big enough change. Yeah. Yeah. The self is disconnected, all the things we have perfected When the wind changed with all its might I think we better learn sometime I think we better learn sometime Now we're walking through the courtyard and Leaves roll over our shoestrings So we speak of family and love The only true thing When you got the, the diagnosis the second time all those emotions came up. Um, I think, especially for me, kind of listening to you tell this, the the emotion that comes up for me is like anger and frustration, thinking, shouldn't somebody have caught this? <laughs> like, shouldn't somebody have done something about this before it got to this point? Um, did, exactly. Was that what it was? Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, because if they had, then I wouldn't be where I am now. Right. And, um, you know, why didn't they just as a precaution give me chemo or radiation or something when I had my kidney removed? It's Uh like, well, damn, come on, people. Let's do some proactive things. Right. And it's not necessarily Kaiser's fault, but I also know how they tend to be err on the side of big time caution. Yeah. And um, that was not in the books. I, I get that reaction because that's a reaction that I'm having as I'm listening to you tell it. I also know that you have, I mean, you can still have that feeling, um, but it's not its not really doing you any good to look back and second guess what happened. So I imagine you gave yourself some time to be angry about it, but it seems like you've kind of moved on from that would you talk about that like when when did you come to that realization that you know you can't change what's happened and you got to do something moving forward right it's just that maybe that's my upbringing is that um with my father having been in the military and we moved every Mm. two two and a half years usually because i went to from kindergarten to high school i went to 23 different schools so yeah so you 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 know you you move on yeah and you let um you let the anger pass when you lose friends because not only do you move but then so do they and besides that it does no good to stay angry yeah i'm done being angry i'm done have it being frustrated Mm -hmm. it's it's time to move on yeah you know because like i say anger does you no good no it doesn't help it doesn't help your mind heal. It doesn't help your body heal. Mm-hmm. And holding all that in, there are times when I still get very angry and very sure. frustrated, but I try not to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would be interested to know if you can tell tell us how you managed to not hang on to it. What you're describing to me is anger is not useful. It's not helping you do anything. <laughs> it's not no. constructive, and. Um, in a, in a moment when you realize that your life might be shorter than you expected, there's not a lot of time to be wasted. You know, wasting energy on an emotion that's not helpful to you doesn't seem like a great way to do it. No, it's not. And um, I don't have one specific way that I let 
anger go. Um, except maybe sometimes at night I cry. Yeah. Um, I do that by myself just because, and although sometimes I get emotional like I am now. Um, but tears are okay. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. And, um, but like I say, just letting that, that anger and the frustration and the, because I saw it in my ex-boyfriend, the wanting to take revenge on people for yeah. having done something to him when he was a teenager and the man's now 65 years old. You it's know, a long I mean, time to carry that around. Long, you know, it's like carrying a, a ton of boulders around with you. It just doesn't do any good. So if you have to, like, write down on a piece of paper um, all the, the things that frustrate you and then um, once a week or once a month or once every couple of months or whatever, take that, those slips of paper and burn them mm. and let them go. Huh. I mean, I've, I've heard all kinds of all kinds of ways to let the, the frustrations and the anger go because it just it isn't productive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Thanks for um, saying that tears are okay. I, I think people feel like sometimes they, like I have to be strong for this person or that person, or I have to put on a good face for people. I mean, on the one hand, you do have to live your life and you've got to be able to participate in whatever is happening. But every now and then allowing the tears to come is okay. I think can be really healing. Yes, and you know, tears don't stain anything, even pillowcases. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, it may mess up your mascara or something, but other than that, it's it's a good release yeah. to cry or scream. Mm -hmm. um, every once in a while, you know, you go out in the backyard and just scream. Yeah, I, I did that once with a couple of friends of mine around, and they had to let it out, and I said, okay, and I let out this. <laughs> Huge scream, and both of them look at me like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Not like that, you just, Linda. <laughs> what? You know, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm fine now. You yeah, know, I yeah. let the, I let it all out. That's so, nice. That's good. Yeah. When you heard that it metastasized to your lungs, did the doctor say anything about um, this is treatable? This is um, something you can live with, or this is something? that you can't live with or that, that will take your life? Did they give you any kind of um, prognosis, anything like that? Um, the um, oncologist in California said maybe five years if you're lucky. And I thought, okay, well, five years, I'm 72. That takes me to 77. I can get a lot done in that time. Yeah. Not, not thinking that, you know, chemotherapy and that kind of stuff and what that does to your body. When I came out here, my oncologist said I've, he's never seen anyone live more than three. Okay. So I'm thinking, well, sorry, shit, damn hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is just really screwing me up. It's like, okay, well, you know, let's try the chemo. Okay. Um, so in that week, you're you're thinking, okay, I'm I'm gonna have to go through this. What is the this that you think you're gonna have to go through? Treatment? Is that what you're? Yes. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. Um, that's what we all decided, and I said when we all, it's my family, um, that we would go through treatment. Okay. That chances are I would come here to Kaiser, to Colorado, to do the treatment so that I would have someone around to take care of me. And um, then it was, you know, planning to move here. Right. And what it was that going to look like, because I was living in 1,500 square feet all by myself. By yourself. So, you know, I have a, you know, and had the house since 97, and so there's lots of stuff in the house and lots of memories and um, some really big, hard decisions to make. Yeah. Yeah. And you're thinking you're going to go through treatment and your oncologist, at least at that point, had said with treatment around five years. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, was that... A devastating amount of time, five years? It wasn't long enough by any yeah. means, um, you know, because I've got my mom lived to be 97 and a half. P 
people in her family lived to be 105, 106. So I was, was shooting for, you know, 90-something anyway. Um, what do I, I've got so many things I want to do. How am I going to do them? Am I going to be able to move back to my house when things are done? Sure. You know, do I rent it out? Um, you know, what am I going to do with it? And then we got out here and um, Dr. Shire said, no, that's because it's now in your blood. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, that's another shit damn hell. Yeah. In other words. Yeah. Because it's, it is a death sentence. Yeah. Well, I mean, five years, that seems short to me. Great. And obviously shorter than what you had hoped. Great. And Dr. Shire then says three, and it seems like people are just <laughs> whittling away yeah. at your your life expectancy. That does seem really shitty. It is. It is. It's really very shitty. And so I've decided I'm going to do all the things I want to do. Yeah. Like going skydiving, which I should be skydiving which right now. I appreciate you and taking the so, time. Yeah, You're supposed so, to be yeah. skydiving. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't work out with family going, but, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things I want to do and by golly, I'm going to do them. Yeah. Was that a, d a decision? I, it seems like a decision you proactively made. I've got this time. Was that a decision you made? When in California, when you thought you had five years, you were like, I'm going to do everything I want to do? Or has that become uh, something that you decided on after you heard three years? Or um... That was after three years. Okay. Um, because there was always the hope that, you know, the the chemo might indeed just knock its on its ass and, sure. you know, all would be well. And then I could have, you know, 10, 15 years of remission and then... You know, say mm -hmm. goodnight, Irene. <laughs> but um, not going to happen. Right. You know, right. although I can't say it's not going to happen because it's not in my hands. Right. It's in God's hands. You would accept and, it if it did. Yeah. But if you're it not happened, expecting it. Yeah. If it happened sure. tomorrow, it happens tomorrow. If it happens 10 years from now, that yay. Mm -hmm. I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. This was your first time with chemotherapy, right? Because you didn't do any the first time. So tell tell me a little bit about how that was for you. So chemotherapy, the, the chemo nurses at the Franklin Kaiser are just phenomenally wonderful people. Yeah. And the first time I went through chemo, my son was here. Oh, really? And oh. my daughter was here. So both of them sat with me and um, I had no problems. I had no vomiting. I had, you know, none of this, the stuff you normally think about. Even, even a week after or whatever? No. Nothing. No, no side effect. No, except being tired all the time and just having absolutely no energy whatsoever. Everybody expects vomiting and um, like all of that stuff that comes and along with it. And out, hair falling kind of, out. Yeah, which I still have all of mine, even though it's um, copper right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, hear, I talk to patients a lot that have fatigue. And I, I think to a lot of people, it doesn't sound that bad because... You're just tired, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. sound that bad, but this kind of fatigue is much more unpleasant than just being a little tired. Yes. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because I'm a very independent person and I want to take care of myself, but just getting up and brushing my teeth and going to the bathroom and putting clean clothes on for the day... I'm exhausted. I'm ready to go back to bed. And it's like, what is, no, this is not me. This mm -hmm. is not who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a lion. I go out and I help people. I help okay. serve. I help, you know, do eyeglass exams. I help all doing, you know, food distribution and all that kind of stuff. And I can't even, you know, I can barely get myself dressed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it took more of a mental toll on me than it did a physical toll. And, on top of all that, you're also living with uh, a finite amount of time. And if that time is spent in bed or feeling tired, that time is spent. It's gone. It's, it's wasted. Like you can't do anything. Yeah. You can't get it back. Right. And I guess, too, the, the decision to just do all the things I want to do 
came from my being in the hospital last September, and I had a pulmonary embolism. I think that's when I was told it was in my bloodstream, and there's there's nothing they can do about it. So I thought, okay, it's given me, the chemo's given me a pulmonary embolism. I'm not going through this one again. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's scary when you find out that the stuff that's supposed to make the cancer go away is made you sicker mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided I'm done with chemo. I'm not doing it anymore. Did you make that decision after you got home out of the hospital? Or was that something you said um, when somebody told you, oh, well, this happens with chemotherapy? You said, well to hell with chemotherapy. I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) It was kind of one of those things that Amy and I looked at each other and said, oh, chemo caused this? We're done. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't a week long, you know, let's think about this, that type of thing. It's like, no, I'm just, I'm done with with that. I just, I knew in my heart that it was not right. And, you know, just... And I don't want to stop anybody from taking chemo that is going to get better, but there's just so many things that can go wrong, and chemo kills so many things in your body that you need to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's um, it's tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's, and I think every oncologist worth their salt will tell you there's trade-offs with chemotherapy. Yes, right. And and it's a little bit of a gamble because it's not for certain that the chemotherapy is going to work. And if it does work, in your case, it's not going to cure the cancer. Yeah. It's going to prolong your life. And we don't know exactly how long. So it's a risk and there's trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs is you're more prone to clotting, right? And mm-hmm. having these dangerous things happen to you. It's much easier to to put yourself at risk for these side effects when you think on the other side, oh, I'm going to be rid of this cancer. That's a much easier thing to to risk. Right. But if all we're doing is prolonging, then you have to think about, well, what is the quality of my life and what are the risks I'm putting myself at to take this? I really like what you said about I just knew in my heart, knew within myself, and your daughter confirmed that she knew within herself that this is not right for you. And, um, yeah, I don't want to discourage anybody from taking chemotherapy. There's nothing wrong with taking it. It's also okay to, to make that calculation and go, no, this isn't, this isn't for me. It's fine. Right. And not, not every therapy is good for you or good is a good choice for you. For you. You know, it may be that radiation would be better than the chemo or combination thereof or something. I don't know. After the pulmonary embolism, I thought, okay, I'm just, I'm done. Yeah. I'll go check out alternative medicine and see what else we can come up with. Sure. Did you talk to your oncologist, or was there another doc in the hospital when you made that choice? Did you talk to him about the implications of that choice? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, um, I had an appointment with him, and Amy and I went in to see him because I always, always take somebody else with you. You, a second set of ears is always better than going by yourself. Because you're too emotional and you don't always hear what's being said. I will 100% back that up. Yes. Yeah. And so Amy and I went in and said, okay, we're done with the chemo because Mm -hmm. of the embolism. He said, okay, do you understand, you know, that it may grow faster? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Did he say anything about how much faster he thinks it might be? No. Okay. Didn't ask. You didn't ask. I, because it's, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I do care, but I know it you doesn't care, matter. But, but it's, yeah, and it's one of those that, um, of course, Amy kind of took him aback because she said, so when do we go on hospice? <laughs> what do you mean hospice? <laughs> you know, but it's like, because there's going to be the point where I'll have to be on hospice. Sure. And I've, you know, I've made all my arrangements. Yeah. You know, sold my house. Makes me sad, but um, sold my house, got all my stuff out here. Um, I have my will. I have my trust. Um, 
I have my cremation all set. I mean, everything's done. Mm-hmm. It's just waiting now, for me to say, see you around. No, now, now all you have to do is live. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm going to, and everything's taken care of and almost paid for. And, um, you know, I don't want my kids to have to worry about it. I even have my memorial service planned. Oh, that's great. Because I'm not leaving that up to kids that, one, are <laughs> a different, you know, um, faith tradition than I am. And um, I want it to be the way I want it to be, not the way they want it to be. Mm-hmm. And so I've got it all planned, and it's at the church in California. Oh, okay. And we're good to go. You're going to travel back to California, huh? In an urn, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> in a little tiny box. All right. Not a big one, because that gets awfully expensive. Home, I need a little taste of home. Next week, we're going to the rodeo. Yeah. I get to look at the boys' buns <laughs> and, uh, you know, enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, I have to take my walker so I can get around okay instead of just my cane. But um, other than that, I just keeping in touch with my friends mm-hmm. and um, finishing up the sale of my house, which hopefully will close sometime this next week. And then, um, you know, onward and upward. Yeah. You said you're going to, um, are you going to reschedule the skydiving? Oh, yes. I'm, that's, that's top of the, of the unbucket list. Yeah. What's, what, what else is on the list? Um, I want to go whitewater rafting. Oh, kidding. I don't want to go on a a 10 scale. Just a three or two would be sufficient just okay. to you know do that i want to go back to some place like savannah georgia to look at the architecture from the right. civil war and um i'm going to take a cruise to alaska during the summer and just you know things like that that i've wanted to do for ever and then some and i'm gonna do them yeah great um would you talk a little bit about your your faith and how that has kind of informed your working through this illness and your decisions and all that? Sure. My um, my grandfather was an Episcopal priest. So when we were back at his church in Vermont, which wasn't all that often, unfortunately, we went every Sunday. <laughs> he had no choice. Yeah. And um, in fact, quick aside... Um, for Christmas, we were back there one year, and um, we had the church. His church was right across the street from where the house was, and so we had service then. And then he had to come home and have breakfast so that he could go do a church service in Norwich. And then he had to come back and take a nap. And then he had to have lunch. And so by the time we got to open presents, it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm six years old, and that doesn't cut That's it not, with me. No. <laughs> Just like, That's oh, not no, okay. no, 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 no. But um, anyway, so I think the first time I saw him come out to the congregation in his robes, um, that's when I said, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. That was in 1956. Mm -hmm. The Episcopal Church did not allow that then. But my grandfather, come to find out, um, wrote in his journals that he couldn't understand why women couldn't be priests because they were so much more loving and kind than (laughs) and compassionate than men. So anyway, then life happened, and um, I had a a number of um, aha moments. My grandmother had, my mother's mother had passed away. Mm. And there was a, an Episcopal church two blocks from my house that I never went to. And I decided that, you know, on the way home from work, um, that I needed to stop at the church and go in and, and talk to God about what had happened. And so I get there and there's a guy out watering some trees. And he said, can I help you? And I said, yes, I'd like to get into the church for a few moments, if I may. And he said, sure, I'll let you in. 
I'm thinking this guy's a gardener. So of course he's got, you know, keys to the church and so he can get in and do whatever he needs to. And when I was about a half an hour later, when I was done, I came out and there was the note on the car that said, God told me to come and water the plants today. If you need me, here's my name and number was the reverend. Hmm. I thought, oh, God's trying to tell you something, lady. And everybody kept saying, you need to go to seminary. Hmm. And I said, no, one, I'm too old. Because I was, you know, in my late 40s at that point. And a couple of priests that we had there said, yeah, what's what's wrong with you? Why aren't you going to seminary? Um, I decided to start the process and started going back to school at the ripe old age of 50 and got my um, bachelor's at 55 and got my master's at 58. Wow. And did my CPE, the clinical pastoral education. Training to become a chaplain. Right. At a hospital. At a hospital. Yeah. So, which can be kind of interesting because at Loma Linda at the time, they didn't have a place where you had to, because I had to stay the night in the hospital Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I lived too far away. I lived a minute outside of the (laughs) 10 minute room and um, I got to sleep on the couch. They didn't have a bed for yeah, us. Yeah. And, you know, you'd brush your teeth in the bathroom with everybody else coming in and out. But the rest of it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And that's where a friend, I was staying with a friend of mine, who Reverend Mary Martin, who has since then passed from lung cancer. When I would come home and, and we would talk about my day and things that had gone on, and she said, okay, that one's go make a margarita for us. <laughs> or it was... Just put on your big girl panties and deal with it, Linda. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, Uh yeah, Uh I've had a lot of really crazy friends, and I love them all to death. Anyway, so, yeah, CPE was lots of fun, and I enjoyed it and did a number of emergency baptisms Mm -hmm. for the NICU department. Mm. I guess, what what does that faith mean to you, or has that changed um, in the years since you did all that? God's the one that's in charge, not me. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. You know, yeah. it's just, but, but there's a reason this is happening. Okay. Tell you me know? about that. Um, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, you don't have to have the reason, but tell no, me about, uh, tell me about that thought. Like there's a reason this is happening. And so is the reason something you're going to know? I'm, I'm beginning to think the reason it's happening is because I can help other people with it. Hmm because of people like you that I've met that I don't know how many people are going to listen to this. Hopefully a lot. Hopefully a lot, but you know, (laughs) um, and there's a reason why I'm supposed to be in this house and Mm. um, to spend more time with my grandkids that are here, to spend more time with my daughter and my son-in-law. So that's, I, you know, I'm not saying that God doesn't have a plan for us. I think he, maybe he does, maybe she does. I don't know. I'm here for a reason. Okay. And I'm, I'm in Denver for a reason. Mm. That's what I do. Yeah. Because I can, you know, I can help. Yeah. What do you want to do? Say you have another three years to live. What do you want to do with those three years? I know you want to go skydiving and whitewater rafting. Uh, aside from those things, what do you want those three years to be about? Helping others. Hmm. I still want to help others. Um, there's a, a program that um, became an endorsed project with the Lions in California called the Magic Yarn Project. Hmm. And it's for making wigs for kids with cancer mm-hmm. and giving giving them to them, to the kids. And they're Aurora and Rapunzel and Jack Sparrow and Disney characters. Oh, fun wigs. Fun wigs. Yeah, not <laughs> not not hair this wigs. Is, this is but, fun. But it is fun. Uh-huh. And I do crochet some, and I knit, and I like to be crafty. In fact, Amy and I are going to put a she shed out there for oh, our, nice. our crafts. Anyway, um, I want to get into helping more to make the wigs. 
I want to find a Lions Club around here um, again. I want to go help at a, at a library or someplace um, as long as I can sit and get up and sit and get up. You know, mm -hmm. I want to help because yeah. that's that's what I do. And it's selfish because I get more enjoyment out of it than I think people that I help do. Although that's sometimes questionable because when you are at a eyeglass um, examination thing that we would do in California and you fit a grandmother who's not had the benefit of eyeglasses for years and years and years. You've got a pair of glasses that fit her, and she puts them on and starts crying because she can see her grandkids right. for the first time right. ever. You know, that's I, a good feeling. That's, that's a huge feeling for her, but it's an awesome feeling for me to be able to help and do that. Yeah. Where does it come from for you? I mean... You can do anything, right? You can do whatever you want with, I mean, we can always do whatever we want with our lives, um, but you have a finite amount of time. You see your finish line coming. That's what I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say. You could spend that time doing pretty much anything, and what you want to do is, is help people. And I know you get something out of it, but I just wonder, like, you get something out of going to the beach too, and you oh, get no. something out. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> not, not you. You get something out of going skydiving. You get something out of going to nice dinners. You get something out of you know spending time with friends. You get something out of almost everything you do, and I just wonder where that comes from for you. This desire to just be, as you said earlier, of service to others. I like, think that was that was the way I was raised. Okay. Um, you know, my dad, being in the military, was gone all the time. He was probably um, temporary duty um, six months out of the year, at least. But my mom was always giving. She was always part of the PTA and, and that kind of thing. And so um, it's just a continuation of giving and doing for others because hmm. it makes you happy. Yeah. Well, it does. And it helps other people. And I like it. Right. High five. Good job. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's just, and people who don't see that, it makes me very sad for them mm. that they don't, they don't realize that inner joy and peace that you find by doing for others and giving to others. I have a, um, a diamond painting that I've done and I'll, take you in the bedroom and, and show it to you. But it, it, which I worked on when I was back in California, going through things to pack up my house, the final pack up to move out here. And it said, let that shit go. Hmm. And it just, I, ha <laughs> I still have a ton of stuff out in the garage that, um, you know, things that I've had forever that I just, it's really hard for me to get rid of, mm. especially photographs. My dad was a photographer, and we never went on vacation because the Air Force would fall apart without him. <laughs> and So um, glad he stayed. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I don't have a whole lot of photographs from when I was little, but... My first husband was a photographer. My third husband was a photographer. My son's a photographer. You know, so I've accumulated boxes of photographs. Mm -hmm. Amazing. <laughs> you look at it and you think, oh my gosh, really? But I just, I can't get rid of them. Yeah. You know, and... Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I get things like that to do, mm. to do too. It's interesting that you said that uh, about the let that shit go. As you were talking about helping people, I was thinking about the time that you have left and you wanting to help people. It seems like a thing in your life that you've practiced for a long time that people can't take away from you, at least at this point. And I think that's no, really, I, I yeah. think that's really nice that 
that that is something that you can hold on to. It doesn't have to be a burden. It's a thing that you do joyfully. It's always available to you, right? I mean, even even if you can't do anything else, you can be here with your family and with your friends and, you know, talk on the phone and help people out. Yep. And I think that's, well, you can you can let go of a lot of stuff. And if you got to hold on to one thing, giving back to other people, I think is a, a really great thing to hold on to. some point you would you would need to have hospice um support so uh when will that be when have you given that any thought uh, you're not on hospice right now obviously no so when when would be the time what do you think um with any kind of luck never you think um no <laughs> <laughs> but you know with the way that i'm feeling now i mean it's hard to tell by looking at me or or talking to me or um being around me that there's anything wrong you look fine to me yeah i look fine to me too um it's just the inside that's mm-hmm. got all the crap going on i'm hoping that similarly with my late husband that you know, hospice will be somewhat short and not for a couple of years yet. Okay. And then the end will come quickly. So maybe one thing that we could talk about that might be helpful to other people is um, why not hospice right now? (laughs) Because there's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't feel like I have the need for hospice. I'll save that for down the road. I'm still getting along on my own. I, you know, cook dinners here, you know, probably three nights a week, or at least help with them. Um, I've been dubbed the the house um, mom. I take care of the house during the day. I make sure that, you know, Mabel gets fed, although Amy does a lot of that. Makes, you know, the kids get off to school and that kind of stuff. I don't need hospice yet. Yeah. So you would need hospice when you need extra support, yes. like extra help, right? symptom management and things like that if you're feeling bad. Right. You don't need it right now because you don't feel bad and you don't need any kind of extra support. But you would know that you need that support when you start feeling bad. Some people, even after they start feeling bad, still want to go back to the hospital from time to time, you know, if if something's going on that is easily reversible and... Um, that you can go into the hospital for a day or two and get something fixed, they would want to do that. And in that case, then you also wouldn't want hospice because you would want to go back to the hospital and get something fixed, and then you would get out. And then right. Um, and in that case, you would just follow with palliative care like you have been doing until the time when you say, I don't want to go back to the hospital ever again. And then you would just stay home and have right. hospice. And at this point, I can still make all my own doctor appointments. Right. Um, you know, I need to get my classes adjusted and have my eyes examined again because I think chemo tweaked my eyesight. <laughs> but that's been a couple of months, and so I'm not in any—I can still see okay. So yeah. it's like, yeah, whatever. Obviously not in a hurry. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've taken care of things like getting my Colorado driver's license. And I got my princess parking plates. Oh, nice. That's what I call it is princess parking Mm -hmm. is I get to have handicapped parking. Awesome. (laughs) What do you think it's going to be like when the time comes? Like when you are getting close to dying, how how do you hope it's going to be or how do you think it's going to be? Well, I hope I'm totally at peace with myself and those around me. And then I just hope I get to go to sleep and that'll and be it. I'll wake up. Yep. Yeah. That's what happened with my late husband. Um, my mom had come out to help me take care of him. So we'd had our mother and I had had our glass of wine and he was was slipping fairly rapidly. And um, so I went out to make dinner for the two of us 
and she left her wine glass in the bedroom and went to back to get it and came back and said, Henny, I think you need to go see him. And so while I was out of the room for 20 minutes, he passed. Okay. So I went in and gave him hell because I said, you know, you promised me I could be with you. And you <laughs> lied. <laughs> you lied. But gotcha. anyway, so I just, you know, and I know I'm going to be with him. Mm-hmm. And my sister, my oldest sister keeps saying that, you know, um, hanging out here beats the alternative. And I keep thinking, mm, I don't know, mm. you know, going home to God and being with my mom and my dad and my late husband and, you know, the grandparents. Now that sounds pretty choice too. Yeah. You know, so mm. I'm really at peace with that whole thing. Your eyes kind of lit up when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not many people can say that, I'm afraid, that it's just, you know, there's something about death. It's the the unknown, and it's still unknown to me because I've not died and come back. But it just, to me, it would seem that it would be peaceful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think you do get to see your family. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is um, afterlife. You know, um, what are your thoughts? It sounds like you think uh, people are there waiting for you, mm-hmm. their loved ones. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if, place. if Richard didn't come and greet me and take me, take me home. <laughs> I hope that's true. I hope that's true, too. Well, I think the last thing that I've asked almost everybody is... Um, how do you want to be remembered? That one I hadn't thought about. <laughs> um, I know that there's people who are going to remember me as being harsh mm-hmm. and um, demanding. And it's just because I want things to be right, maybe my way a little too much. <laughs> um but I think we all are there from time to time. Sure. Um, but I want them to remember me as having a sense of humor and being a giving person. Yeah. And I hope that that's true with all of it, all the people. I, I mean, when I was district governor, and I would go, you had to go to all the clubs to visit them once a year, at least once a year. And so I would always start my, you know, hello, I'm so glad to be here, you know, the normal chit-chat. I want to tell you a story. There was this guy on the beach who looked down and saw somebody throwing something into the ocean. And so he would walk toward this person and he'd get closer and closer. And then he, he stopped and asked this kid, what are you doing? He said, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. Well, you can't save them all. Why are you doing that? Look down the the beach. There's miles of starfish and hundreds of them. And so the kid picked one up and threw it into the ocean and said, I made a difference to that one. Yeah. I have earrings that a friend of mine gave me with starfish. She's wearing them right now. Yes. (laughs) Um, When I did my convention... The trophies that I gave out for, you know, Lion of the Year and Best Club of the Year and that kind of stuff all had the starfish on them. So people would remember that story. And that to me is, you know, you helped one. Mm -hmm. I can't help everybody, but I can help one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing all that. Well, thank you for spending the time with me and letting me share. It's been great. great to have both of you here. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think we did it. Do you think we did it? Are you feeling yes, good? I'm you feeling feel happy. Good. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say? Nope. Just keep it up. And if there's anybody that I can talk to, to encourage them to just keep going. Yeah. Um, we'll look forward to footage of rafting and skydiving. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe we'll catch up 
in some months to see how things have been going, if that's all right. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Yeah, of course. It's fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Once again, I'm inspired. Linda is coming to the end of her life. She's being forced to let go of some things, and she's choosing to let go of some things. I've said before that knowing that the end is coming brings some clarity, and Linda is clear that she's willing to let go of a lot of things. She let go of her desire to live into her 90s. She let go of California, and she let go of her home. But she's holding on to the things that are most important to her. Family, fun, and her commitment to service. So here's to Linda, and here's to letting that shit go. And here's to holding on to the things that bring life meaning. May we all go and do likewise. This is Dying to Tell You.